0: This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. If you were tasked with defining the design process, you are going to have a lot of options. Andrew and I are going to attempt to tackle this topic and discuss how we go about solving the tasks set before us when creating architecture. Welcome to episode 101, The Design Process.
1: Special thanks to today's sponsor, Inscape. Empower your design workflow with real-time rendering and virtual reality. Inscape brings integrated visual exploration directly into your modeling tools, so you can focus on creating, designing, and building. Head to inscape3d.com/loaa to get started, and for a limited time, you can receive 15% off your new license.
0: Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today, Andrew and I are going to talk about the design process, which, at first blush, might be one of the most open-ended topics in the history of topics. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, for sure, on this show, maybe. Yeah, well, I'm well aware how open-ended this is because I'm the one that put this particular episode on the books, thinking that I would elaborate on it later, which I didn't. (laughs) And so I've been scrambling to think, like, what was I thinking? What did I want to talk about? It's also possible that when we were coming up with these topics, we might have been enjoying a few adult beverages, and it sounded like a really good idea. I think it is a good idea. I figured out an angle for this that I've shared, and I think it'll be good.
1: Yeah, I I think we can go on multiple angles here. Yeah. There's
0: so many different ways, but you're right. There are probably beverages there. (laughs) (laughs) So the reason why this is such an open-ended topic is because... People tend to go about the process of solving problems differently, even though I think if you distill it down into the basis of elements or processes or procedures, they're really not that different. And what I looked at it, and this is my starting point. Yeah, it's literally my starting point, was a design process just gives you a systematic and typically linear problem solving process that is formulaic, which means you can repeat it. And it allows people like me and Andrew, creative types, I would say, a methodology to go about doing our jobs without needing inspiration. That's kind of how I look at it. Because, you know, the number of times people say, oh, I need to design something, but I'm not feeling inspired. Where can I go get inspired? And I go, you can't always count on inspiration to solve a problem. Like sometimes, especially as you get into the professional world, a lot of times it's very pragmatic. What you're going about is... I have a challenge in front of me and I need to come up with creating a way of addressing that challenge. One of the things that I did, you know, I went to the internet, the keeper of all information (laughs) and I just typed in the design process to see what I could come up with. And it's a lot. It's a lot.
1: Yeah. I did the same.
0: Yeah. And here's the thing that I thought was interesting is there was a lot of engineering design processes that were kind of outlined. Yeah. I saw a lot of those as well. And I thought, again, this isn't specific to being an architect, this solving a problem without inspiration, but the vast majority of them had like four or five steps to them. I found several versions of plan, mock-up, build, and measure, Mm -hmm. which clearly that's an engineering protocol in my mind.
1: Yeah. I found a couple that were like creatively bent because they were like empathize and define and prototype. To me, a little bit more, less engineering and a little more design, creative oriented. Yeah. It was either five steps or there was eight steps. Those were somewhere
0: in between was where it was. Well, you know, the empathize as a consideration is interesting to me because that's another way, that's a more concise way of saying, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Sure, sure. You're going to address this. And I'm trying to be very specific to not say problem because a lot of times we're dealing with things, they're not problems. Yeah. Yeah. For example, I said, hey, I need to design a new logo for the Life of an Architect podcast. That's not a problem. Yeah. In design speech, we might say, I have an opportunity to design a new logo. Sure. Or I've been tasked with creating a new logo. It's not a problem. But again, you're not solving something based on there being an issue and you don't have inspiration like, oh my God, I was struck by a lightning bolt and I (laughs) realized I should do this. This is how I need to change something. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't always happen. So I found one that was pretty good, and theirs was motive of design, then pre-design, and then requirements, which is another way of saying specifications, really. Design phase, product, and then post-design phase. And I went, okay, so that one was what, six? One, two, three, four, five, that's six. Mm -hmm. And I went, all of these models have built-in check-ins as well. Like when you go into research, it's not... You don't go through necessarily all six. You might go one to two, back to one, back to two, back to one, back to two, on to three, back to one, then to two, to three, to four, back to three, back to four, back to three.
1: Yeah, they're all circular in some sense. It's not like you do steps one through six and you're done. Yay. Yeah,
0: it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. I was actually talking about that with one of the younger folks in my design studio the other day, and it had to do with the advantages. And here's a rabbit hole because I'm coming up with this on the fly as I think about it. (laughs) It had to do with that story. I think it was Picasso. This woman comes up and she convinces Pablo Picasso to do a sketch of her Mm -hmm. on a napkin. Mm -hmm. And he goes, one, two, three, four, five, like five seconds later, he's got it. Boom. Here it is. She's like, wow, it's amazing. He goes, that'll be $5,000. And she goes, $5,000. It took you five seconds to do it. And he goes, no, it took me 40 years to be able to do it in five seconds. Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of idea. And then if we take that same kind of logic and I don't know, make it a little less big picture, it's when I have young people that are working on projects. They tend to have to go further down the path of discovery before they realize something isn't going to work, and they take a few steps back to take a new path. Mm-hmm. And that experience sure allows you to go. This isn't going to work sooner than it might be for someone who hasn't been through it a few times. Yeah, yeah. But that phase is still the same. It's the same for me as it is for somebody with two years' experience. I might be able to cycle. Between 1 and 2 more rapidly because I don't have to go 1 to 2 to 3 back to 1, right? hmm Now I'm super conscious of saying right <laughs> after the 100%... You are correct, sir. Yes. So of these two models, the ones that I pulled off the internet, again, there's thousands of them. There's a million variations on this, but... Yes, there is. But they're not specific to the practice of architecture. But they do align themselves fairly closely to the sequencing of what we traditionally use, which is programming, schematic design, design development, construction, observation, with smaller and complete cycles taking place through each one of the steps, each one of these processes. So as I sat down to, I don't know, try to align it more holistically to the practice of architecture, and I've talked about each one of these steps in some capacity on the website for years. And so I was like, "Ooh, I can just type in this one keyword and I'll find the eight posts that I've written on one small <laughs> chunk of this whole process." And it didn't work. No, of course it worked. Oh, it did. Okay. Yeah, of course it worked. So my own steps that I put in that I should publish and add to the 10,000 that already exist on the internet, I did discovery, exploration, presentation, modification, and execution. Those were my five. If I tried to say, what are my goals? And those are not necessarily the same. as I'm not just swapping out the words programming and schematic design for one of these new words. That is the cycle for each one of those steps. And this is why I think it's clever. I'm patting myself on the back right now. Pat, pat, pat. (laughs) Of course. Those five, you can look at a specific, you can say programming. You Mm -hmm. could use those five in programming. But you could also back out and use those five for the entire delivery process. It's the same on every single one. Of them. So I go, that's why it works. And this is, again, not specific to architecture, but aligns and overlays precisely with how I go through my own process of design. Mm-hmm. So I thought we could talk about those sections. It works at multiple scales. That's what the thing is. Yeah. In multiple ways.
1: One of the things that I always say, and it's not quite the same, but the thing I tell my students all the time is that my three words are design, decide, and execute. So it's a little more pared down because it's just design, which we're talking about now. But the students won't make up their mind and they can't execute those decisions. And so they can't keep things moving forward. They can't make a decision and execute. So they have to keep doing it. I have to keep telling them, design, decide, execute, so you can make more decisions and more decisions. And for me, that works at every level, whether it's a minor detail or the big picture, those things have to happen.
0: Well, you know, I find that actually extremely fascinating because the only difference between what I was describing and what you're describing Is the client. Mm -hmm. So they're the ones that are designing and deciding and executing. And what they're missing is the let me ask you what you want (laughs) part of it. Yes. And then the do you like what I've done part of it. Sure. Because they own that whole process. Yeah. They're all of it. It's intrinsic to them. As soon as you put the person A, my stakeholder has hired me to do something, I still do the three you describe. But I have to collect their information and then do that work. Yeah, kind of front-end book in it. but Yeah, and then present it, and then they give me comments, and then I modify it. And So I think that's pretty interesting. But I think that's why it works. And the key thing on this, this is what I want people to really dial in on. It's the being able to go through this process without having to rely on being inspired. That's kind of a big deal.
1: Yeah, because sometimes you don't have time to sit around and wait for that. The clock is ticking. Clients are getting impatient and all these wheels are turning. And so you don't have time to sit around and wait to get inspired to like two days before the deadline like you could when you
0: were in studio. It just doesn't work. Yeah, it makes me wonder if you just have a mental bucket of things that you find inspirational and then you just pick one of them and go, I'm going to build something based on this current interest that I find inspiring to me. Mm -mm. Like I've really been interested in... Jolly Walls lately. And I'm going to find a way to shoehorn that into my design here. Yeah. So let's break down those five categories and talk about what those might mean. Like, what does that process look like? And then how does that manifest itself to us? There is going to be a difference between the commercial side, which I'll let you represent the commercial side. Okay. And then there's the residential side of this. Well, oh, I don't think they're wildly different. I think What does make the process different is the level of knowledge of the stakeholder. The commercial clients are generally way more savvy and knowledgeable than the residential clients are. That's been my experience because they've done it before. Some of them, yes. Some of them, no. Yeah. Of course, everyone has
1: a first time. You know? Yeah. I mean, it depends on what it is, but sure.
0: Yeah. I would say that the number of first time, I actually have two jobs I'm doing right now that are commercial projects, that it's the client's first big project. Hmm. So it is new for them. So obviously it happens. But almost across the board, every new house I do is for somebody, it's their first.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I was thinking more about my public clients. When I work for municipalities or higher education, they've done it a bunch. But some of the school districts I work for, the smaller school districts, they've never done it before ever. Mm. This is the first school they're going to build in 50 years and the last one they've done in 50 years. So it's still
0: all brand new and they don't understand any of it. Okay. I want you to help me remember to reintroduce that bit, what you just said later on, because it has to do with setting priorities. Mm-hmm. Okay, And it's the idea that one of the things that we go through as the professional is we help establish priorities. And if you've done this before, you probably, as again, the stakeholder, which I'm referring to as the client or the group of people responsible for making decisions. If you're the stakeholder You should have some understanding about what your priorities are. And that's different when you haven't gone through the process before, because you might not even be thinking about all the priorities that you need to establish. And then you're more reliant on your professional, which would be Andrew and myself, to help you understand what your priorities could be, maybe what they should be, maybe why we should shuffle them around. And based on those priorities, you're going to get a different solution. Mm. So it's kind of important. It's an important part of the process. Yeah. So let's start with the first of our topics, which was discovery. And in my world, this is the programming phase, and it starts with a few meetings to understand the what's and how's of a project, let's say a house in my case, based on the needs and desires of the clients. So when we start the process of collecting information, we start by asking questions, and we use a questionnaire to start that process, which we've talked about before. Mine varies between 10 and 15 pages, and it asks all the very obvious questions, like what kind of rooms do you want? Do you want three bedrooms or four bedrooms or five bedrooms? What kind of master bedroom do you want? Do you want en suite bathrooms in your bedrooms? You know, how do you live? Mm-hmm. What side of the bed do you sleep on? Does anybody get up in the middle of the night? Do you have a piano? Yeah. Do you like fireplaces? I mean, it goes on and on and on. There's a lot of these questions that always seem to come up. If we didn't ask them, they would come up sooner or later. As we're designing stuff and people go, oh, wait, I have a piano. This room's too small. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, things like that. So we begin at the beginning by asking questions and collecting the responses. That's the discovery part of the project. And what I find interesting is most people don't always know what they want, or at least there's varying degrees of agreement between the stakeholders Mm -hmm. that will eventually use this house or building in the future, you know, and what one person values might be disproportionate or out of alignment with what their partner values. For example, somebody goes, I want to have a bar in my main room because we're going to have amazing parties and I'm going to get bartenders and we're going to make cocktails and it's going to be a fabulous life. And the other person's like, no, we're not. (laughs) I don't want to do that. Yeah. This is a fortress of solitude. We're not doing any of that. (laughs) Yeah. And I heard this the other day and I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before. Somebody described this as a breakfast table conversation. Like you have these moments when you're collecting this information and the two people, they're not on the same page. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, you might not want to hash this out in front of me if they both feel very passionate (laughs) about their position. Yeah. And so that's part of the reason when we do these questionnaires, they get sent out, they're emailed. Yeah, their homework. Yeah. I always think it's like, if you're going to get married, I don't know, this was true when I got married, but we had to go meet with the pastor and he asked questions like, "Uh, how many kids do you guys want? It's all the questions that you think, if you're going to have a fight, these are the topics that you're going to get in a fight over. Mm. Somebody goes, uh, one, and the other person goes, five. We all need to figure that out. Maybe now, instead of asking that question in two years and you get a divorce because you're so out of whack with what you want that you can't come to a resolution. So I always think about that during this initial discovery phase. What are the questions that people may not agree with that they need to figure out some kind of consensus before we come to the table? Mm -hmm. The other kind of part that we go through in discovery is understanding the motivation behind the actual answers. So when talking about the motivation of the answer is you want everything to work together. So that's the idea that the thing is greater than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If that makes sense when you say, well, here's your answer. We're like, well, we don't want just a collection of nine answers. We want nine answers that equal a whole experience. Sure. Yeah. It means that we have to ask questions that I alluded to in the first part, which is beyond how many bedrooms and bathrooms, but it has to do with lifestyle. How do you live? How do you want to use these spaces? Will the house support your actual lifestyle? Which I'm not sure that a lot of people really think about how they'll use the house rather than what they want in the house.
1: Yeah, in it sure, that makes sense.
0: Because that might make the difference whether you have an enclosed kitchen or an open kitchen. Is it a free plan or is it a collection of rooms connected by hallways? Mm -hmm. Do you move through spaces to move from one room to another? These are the things that make fundamental differences in how we might actually go about solving the challenge of putting a program together. The last was understanding from that collection of rooms that you come up with what rooms are important. It's the what you want versus what you think you want versus what you actually need. And that was the clients and online dating post that I wrote literally like 10 years ago. And it's the idea that what you think you want is based on how you perceive yourself to be, not actually how you actually are, which is why I aligned it with online dating. Like you go, I love the outdoors and really you don't, you just like watching (laughs) fishing shows. Yeah. You want to be that person that likes the outdoors. Yeah. But you're not. Yeah. Our job is to make sure there's a difference. So I don't give you something that you actually don't need or won't use just because the perception is is that's who you'd like to be versus who you really are. So we have to ask questions to understand that. Yeah. So don't center this whole project around something that's really not quite
1: correct. Yes. Even on the flip side of that, on the non residential side, all these questions are really important. They're still different questions, but you're still trying to get at the root of what they want and what are the motivations and why they want them and what do you need and why do you need it here? Even in that commercial sense. Schoolwork is still a lot of trying to find agreement in what those things are. Because at that point, most of my work was always designing by committee. Mm-hmm. So there's not just two people. There's 12 people or 14 people in there. And you're trying to get them into agreement on all of these things that you've been talking about. And how do we do that? And there's a lot of breakfast full conversations that have to happen among 14 people to try to make that happen. So it is the same
0: process. It's just a little more, I think. Wait, let me ask you this though. Those people aren't necessarily the people using the building either, right? No. Like the school board aren't the people that are teaching the classes.
1: Yes. And you have to try to align those things. And we interview teachers and you take that back to the board and the board goes, no, that's not what I would do. And the teachers go, yeah, that's what I want to do. And there's a lot of negotiation in that discovery process to try to figure out what the actual priorities are. Mm Mm-hmm. And most of the time it's, and I hate to say it, but you just have to make everybody a little bit upset about it. There's a lot of compromise that has to happen. And yeah, that's
0: just to figure out how to negotiate it and make that work. Sometimes it's interesting. <laughs> well, you know, I remember reading sometime, or maybe my dad told it to me, and one of his moments of depositing wisdom on me is that a successful process includes both parties not getting exactly what they want. Yeah, yeah. So if everybody's unhappy in the end, you did the right job. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying, but yeah, nobody has won. Everyone's conceded the high ground to a certain extent. So yeah, it's something like that. Well, and I'd also would imagine that there's a difference. And this is something that is not a consideration when you're in school, which I think is part of the reason why your list had three with the students consideration and mine has five because the school board, they might be considering money and budget in a different capacity than the teacher going, look, I just need this to do my job. And then you go, yeah, okay. Teachers want this, and they're like, we don't have the money for that. Oh, yeah. And that goes back to priorities. People set different priorities based on teachers like, I want to be better at my job. I need this tool. They're like, we need to not run out of money and pay people so we can't spend that yeah. money to get that whiteboard that you want. Yeah, something like
1: that. We want every classroom to be 3,000 square feet. We're like, oh, There's not enough space to do that, so we got to have the money first. Yeah. We can't have all 50 of you having 3,000 square feet. <laughs> and then in school, yes, it's different. The discovery phase and that is more about, typically i would say a discovery of project types or program types that i haven't already given them but i give them some of that information but they have to find a little bit more about it so there's a little bit of it but it's not quite the same i gotcha type of discovery there's not as much of a feedback loop in that process we're just discovering what everybody else has thought about some kind of project and not what the client says sure
0: more from life of an architect in just a moment. Andrew and I are having a chat with Monica Nelson, a teacher at the New Jersey Institute of Technology, as well as a researcher for Enscape, who has the responsibility to explore trends and design workflow processes within the AEC industry. Hi, Monica. How are you doing? Thanks for jumping on the show with us.
2: Hi, guys. I'm well. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So where are you at right now?
2: I'm currently in Bloomfield, New Jersey, which is really Mm. close to Manhattan.
0: Well, we're here to talk about Enscape. We have you on because we're going to talk about design workflow. So let's get into that. One of the attributes that Enscape brings to the table is real-time visualization. And I'll tell you, I'm an Enscape user, and we call it working without a net. And so when we're doing these remote calls, I use SketchUp, and I put Enscape on top of it, and we share the Enscape screen. And so live, real-time, when we're describing the project, we're flying through it, with the client on the call, right then. It's amazing. So let's talk a little bit about the ability for clients to experience these spaces.
2: Absolutely, so when most people think of Mscape, they think of more of the visualization, the render side. Mm-hmm. But I always do like to think about it as a workflow tool that really does the job of giving a means of communication between client and designer or architect. And real time is especially critical for this. One thing I describe it as is when you're having a Zoom call with someone or a conversation with someone, as opposed to sending emails back and forth. You really need that real-time integration to really understand and have a discussion about the space as a whole.
1: I was going to say to follow it up, this idea of it being not just a static generator, but there's a possibility for, for rapid design iteration. How do you think InScape works or helps in that regard?
2: The real-time definitely helps, especially when you're working in a CAD platform, which doesn't necessarily have amazing graphics. You set it up and then you run Enscape and suddenly you're in the space you're designing. You can truly visualize it and experience it in real-time. You can see exactly what you're doing, how it's changing the space, how it's feeling. It's more than just, here's a wall, this is where it is. It's really, this is what this space feels like. And being able to kind of experience that in real time, in 3D.
0: You made a point about getting the client involved in the creative process. You know, not everybody can read drawings. Mm -hmm. We're good at it because we do it all day long, every day. But the ability to get the client involved to see what the space might actually feel like. A little short rabbit hole story. I designed a space and the client, she's like, I want a shelf right here. And I was like, "Uh, I don't think you can reach that shelf. We actually turned on Enscape, put on VR goggles. She could act like I'm reaching up to grab this mug. and She goes, okay, you're right. I can't get it. But the idea of getting the clients involved in the process in real time so you can make changes, super powerful tool for us to use as designers.
2: One of the main workflow issues that Enscape really tries to solve is this whole idea of collaboration. We're seeing it a lot more being in this remote setting, this hybrid setting, where we're not actually able to collaborate in person. And Enscape is really filling that hole as this collaborative tool where designers can see exactly what they're doing. They can send it off to other designers. We have collaborative annotation, which makes it really, really easy to annotate a render or mock-up or things like that. For clients especially, not being able to be in the room with an architect really has an impact on how they're understanding the space. And Enscape really does a good job of putting the clients within that space with the architect so they can go through it and really explore it and understand it. VR especially is really great for putting clients in that space. Even if it's not a built space or anything like that, it feels very real to the clients, especially in VR.
0: Yeah, I agree.
2: At that point, They can really start to have a much deeper understanding of the space and the project as a whole, as opposed to just maybe seeing some technical drawings or even looking at realized render, actually able to jump into that space and experience it really, really makes a difference. And as soon as you have that wider understanding, you can make decisions that much quicker and better because the first step of decision-making is really having a full understanding of the space in the project.
0: Wonderful. Well, special thanks to today's sponsor, Enscape. Empower your design workflow with real-time rendering in virtual reality. Enscape brings integrated visual exploration directly into your modeling tools so you can focus on creating, designing, and building. Head over to enscape3d.com forward slash L-O-A-A to get started, And for a limited time, you can receive 15% off your new license. That's Enscape3D.com forward slash L-O-A-A. Thanks again, Monica. We really appreciate you coming on the show with us today.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. It was great.
0: Thanks so much. Well, then let's go on to the next one we have, which was exploration, which let's be honest, if you're a designer and you're an architect, this is probably your favorite of the five. And I'd say this is probably number two and number five are probably my favorite. This is exploration. And this really stems from, okay, now we've gotten the answers that we collected from the first phase of discovery. And it's time to start exploring possible Solutions or directions, this can happen a lot of different ways. We prepare plans, we collect inspirational imagery, we get material samples put in. We go through red dot green dot exercises with those images to find out what clients like or they don't like, and we're trying to capture mood or trying to capture the feeling of light. Excuse me, explain red dot green dot to me. <laughs> oh, I was wondering if I need to explain that. That's not something I'm used to.
1: I've, I've never really heard that.
0: Yeah, so red dot green dot is simply we might put up a bunch of images. And they put green dots on the ones they like. And they put red dots on the one they don't like. (laughs) Okay. And we do it like free-range chickens, right? We just give them the dots and we cut them loose. Uh. And the idea is that instead of us talking about every single possible image that we have, if you don't like something, we don't necessarily need to spend time on it. Unless we want to find out that we need to understand why you don't like something. If something's conflicting, like you like this one and you hate this one. Mm -mm. Why did you like this one and didn't like that one? That happens sometimes, but... We might end up putting 40 or 50 images up. And so we really want to focus on what do you want? What do you like? Rather than what don't you want and don't you like? So that's a red dot, green dot exercise for us.
1: So do you put all these images up on a wall and just give them some stickers and they just go and do it or?
0: Sometimes, yeah. Is it digital or what? Well, we've done both. So let's say, for example, if I have like a committee. Uh Okay. Like we did an office building. It's about to finish construction. And we put these up and there were like 20 people and they all had stickers. Oh, I got you. Yeah. Okay. And we look and go, we got nine greens on this one and two reds. Yeah. But we also do it like on a residential project. We might create a PowerPoint deck and put three or four or five or six or seven images on it. We kind of go through it and they go, no, yes, no, yes, 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 no. I hate that. Love that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm, okay. That makes more sense.
1: I mean, that's kind of what I thought it was, but I just wanted to verify.
0: I figured it with the residential cinch.
1: You don't got two dots. You talk about the ones where one put a red dot and one put a green dot, and you have to figure that
0: out and sort it out where the partner didn't do it and they didn't do it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. That doesn't happen too often, but it does. Mm-hmm. We have a project, the one that we're doing in Wyoming right now. They both have Pinterest boards that they pin stuff to, and it's the same one, And then we asked them, okay, this is really great. Can you go into each image and tell us what you like or what you don't like about it? And there's ones like, there'll be notes that says like, the husband picked this. I hate everything about this image.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I am not a fan of that wagon wheel coffee table. Nope.
0: Yeah. Yeah. mm -hmm. But what's important about that is now at least we have something we can talk about it instead of it just being a complete dismissal. And we say, all right, husband. What do you like about yeah. it? got it. Why well, I like the shimmeriness of this. And then you find out the wife doesn't hate the shimmery. What she hated was the size of the tile or something. Sure. So we can kind of get everybody closer to the same page. So it's still a very useful exercise to go through. But we also do massing mm-hmm. studies and we do site evaluation and would score footage takeoffs using the room matrix, which I know I wrote a post on it. I just can't remember if it was part of a podcast or if it was a dedicated post, but What I think is interesting about when we do square footage takeoffs using a room matrix is it captures all the spaces that everybody needs, but people generally don't ever think to include. So they might say, I want to do a 2,500 square foot house. And they go, I want 11 bedrooms, a dining room, a kitchen, and a garage. And you're like, well, you're missing a utility room, you're missing closets, there's going to be hallway space, there's going to, the next thing you know, the 2,500 square foot house based on the rooms that they said they needed and all the rooms that they left off, we know that they need, we're like, okay, you're up to 5,200 square feet now. And they go, okay, I don't really need 11 bedrooms. Yeah. That sort of thing. I
1: just need one bedroom.
0: Yeah. <laughs> With a bunch of bunk beds in it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I agree that to me, this is the fun part, if you want to call it that, for most architects. It is the free reign area. I think most people consider this the quote unquote design part of it, even though the whole thing is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is the part where you get to flex your creative muscles. And if you have inspiration, this might be where it happens. But I do think that it is one of the more enjoyable parts of the process. Although for me, it's probably modification. Because to me, this is all white paper. Blank stuff. That's a little rough. Yeah, you're
0: designing in a vacuum a
1: little bit here. Yeah, which is not my favorite thing to do. But this is the starting point of that process to start exploring all the possibilities. You've got all this data that you've collected in the discovery phase, and we're trying to bring it together and assimilate it in some way to start and create a solution or ten or however you mean it's going to be.
0: Yeah, or at least the ability to present it and go, "What do you think about this?" Mm -hmm. And they go, "I don't want to put wood on my building because it's going to be a maintenance issue." That's where we don't have those conversations yet. We're just collecting them so that we can have those conversations, which is the exploration. It's like, okay, we've gotten answers to the questions we ask. How can we manifest those answers into Mm -hmm. something physical? Yeah. So then, obviously, that segues into the third step. And again, these are big picture cycles and they're small. Like, I can go through this whole process within each phase of the design process. So I can go through all of this in schematic design. I can go through this whole loop in design development.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So, obviously, presentation is the next one. And presentation is just a catchy way to say we prepare drawings and documents for the purpose of communicating ideas and results of the discovery phase, which was represented in our exploration and question answer sessions. And Because we don't expect everybody to be able to be great at reading drawings. Some people are. Some people are not architects, and they can read drawings just fine. Mm -hmm. But not everybody can. So we use a variety of techniques to convey this information. You know, diagrams and 3D renderings and photographs and physical models. Like, whatever it takes to help people understand what we're talking about.
1: Yeah. I was just saying because it seems like criminals are really good at reading floor plans. (laughs) Oh, and all the TV shows and movies? Yeah, and all the movies that you see, right? Oh, they're just ripping out floor plans and like checking out. Look at that. I'm reading it all. I know. And they're like, there's a duck line that yeah. runs here. They're like
0: they're not even just reading yeah. floor plans. They're understanding yeah, yeah. like mechanical system diagrams. The mechanical plans. I know. Oh. I know. That'd be an interesting post to have too. Cause I go, I feel the need every time I'm watching a movie and somebody's like crawling through a ductwork. I go, first off, ducks are never that big. Right.
1: I mean, it looks a giant duck. That's like a two mile duct run or something. Otherwise. Yes, but- yeah.
0: Yeah, but then they, they're they crawling through a ductwork, and then they exit into the copy room. I go, it, it, it would be like a 10-inch yeah. pipe at that point, right? I mean, and I go, and it wouldn't carry no, their weight. It's like strapped. Like, it's just sheet metal. That's the one that I always
1: give me. It's never going to carry their weight. And there's like four of them in there or whatever, right? Yeah, no.
0: Never going to happen. And they're shoulder to shoulder crawling through it, and they get to look down a hole and go, mmm, and they see the villain walk down yeah, through yeah, a I grill. Know. And I'm I like, know. oh, come on. All right. It's always one of my favorites architecture in the movies. That'd be a fun, that'd be a fun episode. Okay. So presentation, obviously very important because that's when you're presenting all your ideas and you're looking to get feedback at that point. And I like presenting it, but it's, if I have any point of anxiety, Hmm. this is one of them. You know, it's the idea that interesting. I'm trying to like bare my soul without being embarrassing. (laughs) This is the moment when people can go, wow, you're not very good at your job. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I get it. You didn't listen to what we said. And you're like, oh, well, I thought I did. I mean, that doesn't, ha- yeah, it never yeah. happens. I've never had somebody go, wow, you blew it. I've never had that happen. But I think about it every single time. I'm 30 years deep into this. And I still have this moment where I'm excited and I just go, I hope they're happy mm-hmm. with what we've done. Or they understand that this is, this took effort and we were considerate to all these things that they told us. And we listened. Because we're trying to assign priorities based on what they've told us. People don't rarely have, here's my priorities in order from one to 50. That never happens. Yeah, no. But as the expert, we help establish that. Yeah. And then we talk through it.
1: It's not like you have anxiety about presenting what you've done. It's more the anxiety about getting feedback about what you've done, about whether or not it's good or bad. Yeah. So I would say this phase of the process is the same. No matter what kind of work you do, it doesn't matter. I mean, across the board, it's all the same. The things that you may use to present this information may be different based on your project type or Mm -hmm. the people involved, but the process is still the same of presenting our previous two phases of work are essentially the same. What do you guys think about this? What do you, the client, think about all this work I've done and how great I am or did I just completely bomb? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the same no matter what. I will say that we talked about earlier commercial work, if the client is more savvy with what this process is and they've done it before. Sometimes it may take a little less effort on our part in a way. And not to be that way. I mean I mean if they're criminals, they can read plans really easy. So they don't have to go through <laughs> a lot of 3D modeling and things like that if they don't need that. I mean I can of course, but they don't have to and they're gonna understand plans and sections and things like that. That it can be provided and maybe not have to represent it in such a non construction document type way, but mm-hmm. Yeah, Just our standard way of doing it and that they understand the way of doing it and that some of that other stuff they don't care about it because they can
0: understand it and they, they already know what it is. Yeah, you're talking about an entry experience and you don't need to do a 3D rendering of what that would be like because they can look at plans and elevations and get scale and size and shape and narrative of me walking up to the front door and pulling it open and what do I see and Yeah, they, get, they understand that.
1: They understand seeing a 15 by 20 room before and they sort understand what those proportions are and how that works. And mm-hmm. so it's not something brand new because that's one of my favorite things is when, when you go through this process and you're out there on site now and somebody's like, oh, this is a lot bigger than what I thought it was going to be or this is a lot smaller. I mean, like, you know, it's completely different. We don't need this much space now. This is not what I thought. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing that happens. I can
0: imagine that would be frustrating at times. You know, and it's interesting. This is definitely a rabbit hole, but when we build residential projects, there's the process of once the floor shows up, like the slab or the deck yeah, or mm, whatever it is, sure. and there's no walls. And I'm like, okay, you're standing in the den right now. Everything feels super small for them. Mm, yeah. And then the studs go up. And then what happens is visually, they can see where the room ends, but they see through it. And so the sense of scale changes and it's like now it's almost too big. Hmm. Cause it's not defined. And then they put the sheet rock yeah. on and they're like, it's too small again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then they start cutting in trim and outlets and all that kind of stuff and things that give a wall scale. And then their brain right sizes it and they go, okay, mm-hmm. this was what we expected it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's a good way after that little rabbit hole story to talk about the next section, which was modification, which is when we take the information we presented and we organize the strategy to execute the feedback we've received. While it happens more than I thought it would, we don't expect to get everything right 100% of the time out of the gate. It frequently has to do with understanding the priorities of the people we're working with, which I'd mentioned earlier. One of the things that drives me a little crazy is when I hear architects say in these moments, they go, we've developed three schemes to present to you today, and here's option number one. That kills me a little bit because If we're the experts, you're not coming up with three options just because you're a value-added service person. There should be a reason why you have three versions, and that's normally set by if your priorities are A, B, C, this is the direction we think you should go. If your priorities are C, B, A, this is the direction you should go, and if it's B, A, C, here's another way of looking at it. It's not just endless iterations of the same possible solution because there's no real added value to solving the same problem 10 times because they're going to go, well, why is one better than the other? Normally, that's based on something and that should be their priorities, not just whatever. Hmm.
1: Interesting.
0: That's not 100%, but I go, I just don't like presenting it because then they're like, you're the expert. I expect you to tell me which one I should be doing or why I should be doing something or not doing something. So, I always try to present it in the sense that This is what we think you should do, unless this is your priority or you value this more than that. Because again, this is when we talk about establishing priorities. So that's why we have options. That's why we go through various iterations is to show them your entry sequence is this. But if you want a little bit more privacy, here's a different variation of how you get to the front door, which doesn't just reveal itself to you right when you step onto the grounds. That has to do with what their priorities are, what they value when somebody walks up to their front door. Mm. That's kind of what I mean by that.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like when I do that sort of design by committee, Mm -hmm. I end up doing more options because there's never a clear set of priorities. And so I have to do one for these eight people and then maybe do the one for this other group of seven people. And then that way they've got something to look at and hopefully they can come to a compromise and reprioritize within themselves to figure it out. I mean, I think I understand what you're saying, but sometimes I feel like It's not always possible to completely say this is exactly what you should be doing because it's a committee. I might have just made half of them angry. I get the point of, yes, there's options and there's reasons why. I just sometimes think that options are just a part of design by committee.
0: You know, I can I can kind of understand that because when you say that, I go, well, my brain here is eight people love their version. And these eight people love their version. And now you've just set up two warring factions over. They're just trying to get their version.
1: No, 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 because it's more about it's my job to make those versions seem more similar in a way, but be able to say they're different options, if that makes sense, to be able to push that idea of compromise when those versions are not totally different, but they start to prioritize one thing a little bit more than the other. But it's not as drastic as the two warring factions want them to be. And so it starts to squeeze them together. So I hope that it works a little bit better. Sometimes it's really random stuff. I want this part on the side over there, and I want that part on the side over here, and this random stuff like that, or it's like where the traffic should come from. Mm -hmm. It's those kinds of things, like where all the cars can come from. So sometimes I really have to do this, and they'll say, oh, well, this is the worst street in town, and then it's the busiest street, and the other ones will say, well, that's the best street in town, because that's where all the cars come from. And so we just have to try to figure that out and work for the compromise, and I think it's, for me, the most challenging part of it is trying to come up with that and work through that compromise but if I'm coming up with those different options the goal is to trying to come up with a compromise between the two to show them how they're not that different and that they're not quite as divergent in what I'm presenting but there's subtle differences in what I'm presenting and so maybe it helps in the
0: end. Yeah I don't think we're necessarily saying something that's too different but one of the things that I think about again I use the residential stuff because I think it's easier to digest. Oh yeah sure. It's like smaller bites. Oh, yeah. There's fewer moving parts from a decision maker. But I will tell you, years ago, this might be 10 to 12 years ago, I was working on a project. Mm-hmm. And the husband had a priority of having this projector screen TV room right off the, here's kitchen, here's the main living space, and then this is where we're going to watch TV. Mm, yeah. And this is what he wanted. This was like a big priority to him. And it was not a priority to his significant other. She's like. That's not my thing. That's his thing. And the way that we went about it is we go, okay, if this is your priority to the husband, Hmm. this is what we have to do. Like, here it is. We put it right where you want it. This is how it works. But in order for that to work, because you want a projector, because this is before they had gigantic TVs. Oh, uh uh-huh. I go, you can't project black. So I have to stop light from getting into this room. Your black on your screen is only as dark as the room is. No. So that means we need to take these steps to create the environment that you envision in your head for what this space is. And we show him what that means. And he goes, oh, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so it changes yeah. the execution yeah. priorities in his mind because he wasn't willing to concede, hey, yes, I do want a big TV room and I do want it in this location, but I'm not willing to entomb the room with doors and drapes in order to accomplish it. So it moved him closer to where his wife was Mm -hmm. and allowed his wife to understand, yes, I understand this is a priority. I agree that we shouldn't entomb the space. It's like they both agreed with one another in that moment. (laughs) Yeah. We're building consensus. And it really just has to do with, I know you want this and I know you want this. This is how we can accomplish it. And within that, we're helping them establish their own priorities, which allows them to be the decision makers rather than us saying, here's this version based on this priority here's this, this is what you want, duke it out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm just thinking about
0: when you get to forced to
1: have to do options, you're just going to make one of them so bad that you know the priorities are wrong, and so you just do it that way.
0: (laughs) I'm not going to admit on recording that I I would ever do that. I know,
1: I know. (laughs) I'm not saying I'm going to do it either. I'm just saying that would be a way to make it function. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just saying you just make an option that's not good when it's so bad that they have to just
0: shift. (laughs) Well, I will say... I've had clients before say, like if we showed three versions, they just go, go to version three because we know that's the one you like the most. (laughs) Funny. And so I purposely now don't do that to try to disrupt the idea of. Here's one that's good. This one's maybe not as good, but this is, this one is the one that you want.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got it.
0: It's kind of like if I have four pages of numbers and at the bottom of page four is the total and everybody just skips the four pages just to get to the total. Just to the total. Now I'm like, put the total at the front because that's what everybody wants to go. Look, here's the total. Bam. And here's how we got there. Rather than making everybody flip to the end. Sure. Like somehow it softens the blow. It cushions the news. By explaining how you got to that point before you reveal the answer. I think people don't pay attention if they're thinking, what's the number? What's the number? Mm, Yeah, if they're just waiting for it. The number's 12. It's 12. Yeah. Here's how we got there. And they might hate that, but then now they're more engaged as understanding and how it got to 12 rather than not listening because they're just waiting to find out if it's 12 or whatever the case may be.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I get that.
0: So... Since we're technically still in the modification, so they've given us feedback, they've told us what they like, what they don't like, and I keep harping on the fact this is just about making sure that you get the priorities arranged correctly, because they didn't give you all fifty one to 50, Mm -hmm. so you're making some assumptions, and they go, yeah, now that I see it, I don't like this. And sometimes it's not that they don't like it, it's just that it's too high up on the priority list, and they're having to concede something elsewhere to accomplish this, and They want that other thing more than they want this thing that they've gotten. Yeah. That's part of that modification process. So we have a chance to let them see what we've done and allow them to react to it so they can give us the data to go back to the exploration process to where we're actually trying to problem solve and reassess and redesign based on the new priorities that we understand. That's what modification is for us. That's a process that we go through again in each one of these micro phases, and then we go through it on the entire project. Because you might end up doing a whole project, and then it gets bid. (laughs) And it comes in over budget (laughs) or under budget, and they're like, well, we got more money? Well, then let's go back and change some priorities to put some things in that we didn't include because we thought we couldn't Mm -hmm. afford them. Or, okay, let's figure out what do we want to get rid of because I don't want to spend that much money to get all the things that I asked for. Yeah,
1: we're going to dump priorities 40 through 50. Those are gone now.
0: Yeah, what do I get rid of? Or if sometimes when we're doing renovation work, we'll go through a, the list. We'll go, I want to update my bathroom and I want to fix the hall and I want to put new lights in the front room. And mm, mm-hmm. you list all these things and you try to assess the value to them so that is it a quantity or quality? Do you want the things that improve your quality of life the most? Or do you want to get as far down the list as possible before your bucket of money runs out? Yeah. All right. So that brings us to what is my last one, which is execution. And execution just means exactly what you think it is. For an architect, a lot of times it means just building it, like getting it built, or doing the construction drawing. So we've got all the answers. Yeah, finishing it up. Finishing whatever part of the cycle you're in. Finalizing all of the
1: previous stages into a concrete state. I don't mean physically, but yes, this is it. This is where it's going to stay. Yeah. And it's either going to get built or whatever, but this is it.
0: Yeah, execution could be, Here's your final room matrix. Here's your final square footage takeoff. Here's your final block diagram that shows what room and how big it is next to what other room and how big that room is. Here's the construction drawings. Here's the final bid. Here's it under construction. So there's execution at every single one of these levels. But it's the last thing that happens before you move on to the next one. Whatever scale you want to break this five list that I came up with, Mm, the discovery, mm -hmm. execution, presentation, modification, execution is the last one that happens before you go back into the next step along the way, the next level of discovery, exploration, presentation, modification happens.
1: Yeah. I mean, you do that before you start the next one, or it may be the next project. You might be done, done, but whatever it is, right? It's the beginning and the end. Oh wait, no, it's the end and the beginning.
0: Yeah. It is the end, but it's the rebirth. It's the thing that signifies that the next thing is about to start. Exactly. It's the flipping of the lights to tell you to get back in your seat because act two is about to begin. <laughs> Theater. Yes. I didn't actually put a lot of notes in my run sheet on execution because I, I kind of went oh, pretty straightforward. I don't know that I need to talk about it a lot because it's kind of specific to where you're at. Yeah, but just doing the thing that you decided you were going to do. Yeah, we've all agreed. This is what it is. Yeah, that's it. Let's go. Let's put our hands in the middle and then go, yes, and raise them in the air, right? <laughs> yes, 100%. Okay. So there you go. I'm going to say that that is my design process. That's what I kind of mentally have in my brain as to how I go through well the process of designing something, whether it's a problem or not a problem, but how I go about it when I don't have inspiration, which is what we said in the very beginning. This is a scientific method that you can execute. It's a process. It's a sequence. There's an order to it. When you don't have that inspiration, you can still go through this process to yield the fruit that you need to yield.
1: Yeah, but this also works when you have inspiration as well. You can be inspired by something, and this is still the process
0: that you would go through. It's still the process. So, yeah. we keep emphasizing that it's not about inspiration, but you don't need it. Yeah, you don't need inspiration okay, yeah. to go through this. Like if you don't have it, if you don't need it, but of course you can have it and still go through this process.
1: Yes, but even if you have it, you're still going to go yeah. through this process. Yes. It's just a formalized Air quotes, formalized process. These are the steps that you take to resolve whatever it is you're working on. Yes. Again, yeah. at whatever scale you're working at. Yeah. It's genius. I mean, you could just decide what you're going to do for lunch. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know. You know, I can turn this into a book, a pamphlet. You're available online for twenty nine ninety five. Nice. That's right. We'll hash out a little bit more and that'll be it. Done. <laughs> okay. So that ends the official part of today's podcast. And we get another, what's that rank? Because that's the new thing we're doing. Mm -hmm. And this is the second one that we've done. Yeah. And I was a little surprised by the reaction we got to the first one. We get a couple people that feel like, oh, I'm going to give you my own answer to the would you rather, which I always kind of appreciate and enjoy. Oh, uh uh-huh. And I'm sure you do because- normally you're like, oh, they sided with me. Or I go, yes, they sided with me. That's the really. Yeah, exactly. It's our debate settler kind of in a way. Yeah. Yeah. The first one was the days of the week. And I got a lot of people that just, I mean, I got probably six emails, which doesn't sound like a lot. Hmm. Six emails. They just said, hey, Bob. And then they gave me the order of their days. And they're like, later. That was it. Interesting. That's funny.
1: I thought that was pretty amusing. So. Yeah. Well, I got to say the one with Wednesday being the worst day of the
0: week was interesting. I know. Come on, man. There's no way that's... And then, of course, he's like, well, we don't work on this day. And I was like, well, you're throwing everything off. Too many wild cards. That one wild card's not a little one. So, okay. This, would you rank, is going to be... Would you rank? (laughs) What's the rank? I was thinking, like, I just didn't say the sentence. Like, what would you rank the things that we're about to do? All right. For this week's ranking, we're going to go with top five condiments. All right. And... Now, we got to define that, yes, right? Cause a little you, bit. we literally just talked about it. Because we were like, is relish a condiment? And I think after we kind of looked it up, we decided no. Not really. Yeah, not really a condiment. Not really.
1: Not know. as we're going to define
0: it. Yeah. So what's the definition? Let's define it then.
1: Well, I mean, I think we're talking about some sort of sauce type element that you put on after food is cooked or prepared mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. enhance the flavor. So something that happens afterwards <laughs> that's... I guess maybe more of a liquidish type thing. I don't know exactly. It doesn't have to be like super runny, but... Can't be, super
0: can't. runny? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I don't know. So what we're saying, it has to be liquid, because based on the first part of the definition, salt and pepper are condiments. Yeah,
1: exactly. But that's not really true.
0: And I go, that kind of takes the fun out yeah, of it, no, too, because no. those got to be at the top. Yeah, right? for sure.
1: So I think it has to be something that's liquid-based. How about that? God, the definition's just getting worse. <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. So. Top five.
0: Okay. Let's do, let's do your number one. What's a sleep positive? Right. out the number one.
1: Yeah. And it's pretty easy. It's mustard. Okay. Because it's universal. I can almost put mustard on anything.
0: Yeah. Actually, I thought about going with mustard, but I'm going to go with mayonnaise based on use. Okay. Interesting. All right. I use probably them in fairly equal amounts. Interesting. See, I do not, but Okay. Mustard, I go. It has to be on certain things, and some things demand mustard. And I would never even think, like I like ham sandwich with mayonnaise more than I like ham sandwich mm. with mustard. And I eat more ham sandwiches than I do other non ham based sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah.
1: You don't put a mayonnaise on a hot dog though, right? Like that's
0: no, I don't. My wife okay. does actually,
1: but really? I don't. That's yeah. so strange. It is weird. That's so strange. All right. So then, if your number one is mayonnaise, mine's mustard. So what's your number two? Mustard. Oh, well, uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, okay. is. those, are, okay, the, those yeah. are
1: the two. Uh, my number two is sriracha.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. I like it spicy. So I'm not sure that sriracha qualifies as spicy, though. It's just spicier. Well, still, I put it on a lot of stuff. Okay. I put it on a lot of stuff. Didn't even think of that, actually. Well. All right.
1: I I'm going out there on some of these. They're a little bit crazy.
0: So that was your number two. Sriracha That's was my number two. two. Yeah. Okay. What was your number three? Salsa.
1: Picante. Does that count?
0: Uh, I don't really think so, because 90% of the time I eat salsa, I'm dipping a chip in eating it. So it's not really, like, added. Uh, It's, like, part of the dish.
1: Okay. See, I was thinking about, like, I put it on tacos, I put it on salads.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna do that, too. Okay,
1: so then, I guess then that makes me, if I can't use that one, I'll switch to my next one, which is mayonnaise. I had it in the number four spot, but mayonnaise
0: okay all right
1: but like asian mayonnaise
0: like Cupy mayo yeah kewpie mayo yeah
1: i don't use a lot of miracle whip
0: well miracle whip is sandwich spread not this mayonnaise yeah this is true it's and, not mayonnaise yeah and kewpie mayo is some bougie mayonnaise
1: yeah i know but that's the kind of mayonnaise i use all right that's because you're bougie <laughs> all
0: right that's fair that's fair i'm gonna okay. go my number three really just based on use okay and it's barbecue sauce
1: mm-hmm okay that made my list. That was my next one on the list for me, which mm-hmm. was five, but now it would be four, is barbecue sauce. Yeah. Because I use it on a lot of stuff, actually, not just barbecue. I put it on other things as well.
0: I will tell you that four and five are massive drop-offs for me. <laughs> like okay, profound drop-offs. Okay. So I had three that came to mind. That's really how I did this. I go, what three came to mind? Because I'm assuming that they're the ones that I generally use the most. Sure. So ketchup was next for me. Mm, okay. Not catsup for those but, of you who are broken. But ketchup? Yeah. Did you not grow up? Okay. So we were a Heinz ketchup family. Mm-hmm. My next door neighbor had Hunt's catsup.
1: Catsup.
0: Yeah. And I remember, I mean, maybe this just tells me, I guess I demonstrated who I really was, my true colors as like a six-year-old because I'm in his house and they bring out the hunts and I eat it. And I'm like, <laughs> what is this garbage? Like, I literally was like, what is wrong with you? Who eats this? This is not ketchup. They're like, would you like some ketchup? Bougie with your ketchup now. But yeah. It's just not the same thing. And someone goes- I don't even know if they make it anymore. Oh, man. You know what? I hope not. Is there anything called catsup anymore? Or is it all ketchup? I don't know. I'm sure it's still out there though. I'm just saying if somebody goes, hey, would you like some ketchup? And they bring you catsup, I'm going to punch that person. <laughs> I'm going to go, what is this? I wouldn't let it go. As like a six-year-old, I'd let it go. This woman, she's like making me food. And she's like, here you go. And I'm like, what is this?
1: And you're like, this is just tomato sauce.
0: It's Uh, terrible. There's no flavor.
1: This is terrible. That's funny. So that was number
0: four. What was your number four?
1: My number four was barbecue sauce. Was it? Yes. Okay. I'm not writing these down, so. (laughs) I know. I know. So mine's barbecue sauce. i already done that. So you're at five now. What is your five? If that's a major drop-off was. Ketchup. Ketchup. And see, so ketchup didn't even make my list. I almost never eat ketchup.
0: Well, you know, the reality is is that it was the one condiment that my daughter ate as a child. In fact, she ate so much, we, like, there was a shirt available on various websites. I was like, I put ketchup on my ketchup. <laughs> yeah. My daughter, it was all about the ketchup. Funny. And it was so much that at a certain point, I was just kind of like, you start looking, I'm like, gross. Mm. She would. Literally put the biggest blob of ketchup on a single fry and still need to go back for dunks two and three to eat one fry.
1: she just wanted to eat the ketchup. She didn't want
0: the French fry. She was eating the ketchup. Yeah. It was
1: just like, she might as well have had a spoon.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know what? The reality is, is I go, "Uh, you know, I kind of put it on my list because we have it and we use it because my daughter still likes ketchup. Mm. I can't tell you the last time I put ketchup on something, honestly.
1: Yeah, I don't, again, I'm not, a, I don't even like ketchup with french fries, really.
0: But That's why I put it in there, because I do, I do like really. ketchup on my french fries. Not really. Okay, well, that brings up the five hole. hmm I was tempted to say, it's a tie, but I figured if you did that, I would call you out for it, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> okay,
1: you have to pick, you have to pick five, that's right.
0: I'm going to say it's ranch dressing. Oh, okay,
1: that's funny, that's funny, because that's my number five, was ranch dressing, and I thought you were going to yeah. tell me that's not a condiment, but- um, I guess salad dressings are condiments and so.
0: Yeah, but you know what? I didn't put like salad dressings because I put them on salads because there's a million of them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I use ranch for other things.
0: Yeah. People use ranch for like dipping their pizza in or. French
1: fries. Dipping I was their fries fry, in. French fries. Yeah. I get it on my sandwich sometimes as a replacement for some of those other things.
0: I don't hate it. I don't hate it. So that's why I was like, eh, yeah, it's just not my thing. The one I was, I was debating putting on there was honey mustard for the exact same reasons. Mm-hmm. To me, ranch and honey mustard are interchangeable. Interesting. My other one was soy sauce. <laughs> oh, see, I don't, I don't think that qualifies. Why not? I put it on afterwards. It's liquid. How does that not define the definition? It's like an ingredient in the, like, you cook with it. But you also pour it on afterwards. Okay, name me three things you pour soy sauce on. Uh, Sushi, rice, and... I'm going to say it's kind of the same thing because sushi is... Salmon. Come on, dude. You went. <laughs> fish on top of rice, and then you went rice, so now we're talking deconstructed sushi. <laughs> no, and then like you fried you mentioned rice. fish. Like fried uh-uh. rice. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, you went fish and rice for number one, then you went just rice, number two, and then you okay. went just fish, number three. That's terrible. Uh, out. That's
1: fine. <laughs> but maybe it's just because I eat those so much that that's why it's up there in the top for me.
0: I mean, you did say it can't be too runny. Yeah. And that's like straight up brown water. That's water. Fine, fine, whatever. I like soy sauce as much as the next person, but I don't view it as a condiment
1: i would say it's a condiment because like if you go somewhere it's sitting on the table like if you go to some asian places <laughs> sitting on the table for you to add in afterwards yes that's true to me that sort of makes it a condiment
0: just like salt and pepper and whatever
1: ketchup and mustard and whatever depending on where you go that stuff is sitting on the table
0: okay i'm i will allow it <laughs> even though i'm not happy about it but it wasn't ranch
1: stills number five that was my you know, possibility. Yeah. That was your other one. What about butter? That's not a condiment, is it? It doesn't count as a condiment, no. does it? Yeah, okay. No, yeah. that's not a condiment. Because then
0: then it's chaos. Then you're <laughs> like jams and jellies. Well, I was
1: going to say maybe like... Chutneys. and Jalapeno jam. Is that... I don't know. That's a whole different category, I suppose.
0: No. We'd have to go with like toppers. Yeah. We always say like top five ingredients to top your hot dog with.
1: Uh, or Maybe should, we should have defined it as something that you can like... That could come out of a squeeze bottle. Maybe that would be the...
0: Man, it's... It's so specific <laughs> at this point. <laughs>
1: well, all of the things you know that we listed, they can come out of a squeeze bottle. But soy sauce, not really. I mean, I guess it could, but that would be just tragic because it would just it would be messy. It'd come out fast. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> it just pours out. You...
1: They make squeeze butter, so uh, that doesn't work either. So maybe not. Maybe not.
0: So is butter actually squeeze butter, or is it like they mixed
1: so much well, I'm oil? Sure it's, in like what it's... is it, margarine or some kind of thing? Yeah, that's yeah. diluted or whatever. So. My five are mustard, sriracha, mayonnaise,
0: barbecue sauce, and ranch. And mine were mayonnaise, mustard, barbecue sauce, ketchup, and ranch. Mm. I probably should switch ketchup and ranch because at least I've eaten ranch in the last six months. <laughs> I don't think. I yeah. do well, no, just I only eat ketchup on fries, but we already covered that ground. So, mm. Well, there you go. That's this episode's ranking, condiments. And you know what? If you think I blew it, come at me. I am ready.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or if you want to give us a better definition of condiment, maybe we could redo it in the future with a new definition of condiment.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> everybody's dying to know what the alternate version of top five condiments from Bob and Andrew are. So
1: <laughs> well, We should go the bottom five, I guess, the worst five condiments ever at some point.
0: You know what? That probably would have been more interesting. We'll put that on the list we should, for the one future. of these times.
1: i don't have to research what those might be, though. Barmite. <laughs> <laughs> Vegemite is that a condiment I don't know. yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, okay well we've been at this long enough so I think that we're going to call it quits thank you for being with us today for episode 101 the design process special thanks to today's sponsor Enscape empower your design workflow with real-time rendering in virtual reality Enscape brings integrated visual exploration directly into your modeling tools so you can focus on creating, designing, and building. Head on over to Enscape3D.com forward slash LOAA to get started, and for a limited time, you can receive 15% off your new license. That's Enscape3D.com forward slash LOAA. In addition, special thanks to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the life of an architect podcast.
1: Want to get every new episode automatically downloaded? Make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast player of choice. So you can get alerted every time we publish a super cool new episode.
0: And if you got a few moments and feel motivated to give the show some appreciation, we would like a review and hopefully a five star do this, then that, and then do this again rating. <laughs>
1: To get even more content, head over to lifeofanarchitect.com for blog posts, links, and info about this stupendous episode and all the website has to offer. You can even add your voice and join the conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers.